There's a word from the Lord in the Gospel of John. John chapter 12 is where we're going. In, in the Gospel of John chapter 12, beginning with the first verse, listen to what God's word says. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been, had been raised, had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. I simply want to preach about sitting at the table with Jesus. Sitting at the table with Jesus. It's really impossible to get a feel for John chapter 12 without having some knowledge of what happened in John chapter 11. That there was a, a family, Lazarus, Mary and Martha, brothers and sisters, and Lazarus, the brother, got sick. And when Lazarus got sick, the two sisters sent word to Jesus, the one who you love is sick. And they expected for Jesus to show up as quickly as possible and heal their brother from the sickness that he had. This is the same family that allowed Jesus in their home and in their heart. And just, they loved Jesus and they know Jesus loved him. But when they told him that Lazarus was sick, Jesus didn't show up for four days. By the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had already died and had been buried. The, the Jews buried their dead within a 24-hour period. They're not like us. You know, we'll, we'll hold a body out 24 days. They bury theirs within 24 hours. So Lazarus was sick. It got worse. He's now buried. And even Martha, his sister, when Jesus got there, said, and by now he stinks. Because Jesus said, well, show me where you laid him. Show me where y'all took him. She said, you, it's too late. And Jesus reminded her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you see the glory of God? So she took him out to where they buried Lazarus. And Jesus said, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead. And, and then Jesus said, loose him, let him go. So they untied him out of the grave clothes that he had on. He was bound with his head, his hands, his feet. So they untied him, and he came out of that dead predicament, came out of that grave situation. That's in chapter 11. Chapter 12 opens up by telling us that the holiday is getting ready to come. It's a holiday called the Passover where the Hebrew people celebrate the exodus. They celebrate when God sent Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. The, the Israelites, the, the Hebrew people had been in bondage for 430 years as a people. And God sent Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Ten plagues showed up, and then God brought them out. And the reason they call it the Passover, because they put the blood on the doorposts when that tenth plague, that death angel came through. 
and everybody that had the blood of the lamb on their house, the deaf angel would pass over that house. So every house that didn't have blood on it, the deaf angel stopped there. But every house that had blood on it, the deaf angel passed over that. That's why they call it the Passover. And it's really a shadow of, in the Old Testament of the substance of what we have in the New Testament. That Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the earth. And when you and I accept the blood of Jesus, it's a difference in our life. Because what, what stops at other folks' house when you got the blood of Jesus, that stuff will pass over your house. And during this holiday, Hebrew people would come from all over the known world trying to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the holiday. And so Jesus is showing up, and he's not in Jerusalem. He's in Bethany, chapter 12, verse 1. He's in Bethany, which is the suburbs of Jerusalem. Bethany is about six miles outside of Jerusalem and it says that there was a a dinner party thrown in honor of Jesus and when that dinner party was thrown in honor of Jesus now we better understand the guests who were in the house so you have Lazarus who was dead that Jesus raised you have Mary his sister and you have Martha, the other sister. And, and, and when you read this, it's some amazing things going on in there. And it's a lot of praise. It's a lot of worship. The environment has changed. They're excited about Jesus Christ. They're honoring him. They're praising him. They're glorifying him. And the reason why they're operating like this in chapter 12 is because they have not forgotten what took place in chapter 11. And so they have this mentality of reflection of the previous activity of Jesus in the previous chapter. So when they, when they had this mentality of reflecting on the activity of Jesus from the previous chapter, they begin to worship, they begin to praise, they begin to glorify, they begin to give because they remembered what Jesus had already done in the past. And I believe that the reason why some of us never praise God, never glorify him, never really worship him, is because we have some kind of amnesia. We got spiritual amnesia. And there are different kinds of amnesia. One is retrograde amnesia. And retrograde amnesia affects the brain in such a way that that memories that a person used to have, now they don't have them anymore. There are different types of amnesia. There's another one where somebody can't remember recent things. They can't get new memories. But retrograde amnesia is when a person cannot remember memories they used to have. And I believe that some of us, evidently, our brain has been affected by retrograde amnesia because I can't think of any other reason for you not to want to praise God. It, it may be because you have forgotten what God did in the previous chapters in your life. You, you've forgotten how sick you were in the previous chapter. You've forgotten how dead you were in the previous chapter. 
You forgot the grave situation you were in in the previous chapter. You forgot you were tied to something you couldn't free yourself. And then Jesus showed up when everybody thought it was too late and he made a way out of no way. And when you reflect on that from the previous chapter, you can't help but glorify him in the present chapter. Yeah, that, you know, folk talking about, well, you don't, you don't have to be a, a Christian to go to church. We don't come to church to be a Christian. We come to church because we are Christians. We come to church because when we think about what God has already done, we want to be in the house that's honoring Jesus. We want to be in the house that's that's focusing in on Jesus. This is a holiday, y'all, six days before the holiday. And you know, during any holiday, folk got a lot of stuff going on. There are a lot of houses you can go to during the holidays. But they decided, I want to be in the house that's honoring Jesus. I don't come to church out of obligation. I come to church out of affection. I don't come here because I have to. I come here because I want to. Because when I think about what he's already done, the activity he's already worked, I want to be some, I want to be in a house that's honoring Jesus. I know some folk like to go to the, to the bar house and other folk like to go to the dope house. Some folk like to go to the crack house. Folk like to go to the meth house. People like to go to the drug house. Some folk like to go to the whore house. I like to go to the house where we're honoring Jesus. I, I want to be in the house when, where the songs are sung about Jesus. I want to be in the house where the message is spoken about Jesus. I want to be in the house where folk get excited about Jesus. I want to be in the place where folk greet each other in the name of Jesus. I know I got somebody that can help me with this. I just want to be in the house that honors Jesus because what he's done in the previous chapter. I think we got something ain't quite right with our brains. We got some kind of spiritual retrograde amnesia that we forgot what he's already done. Yo, that was, that was Jesus that got us through the middle passage. That was Jesus that got us out of slavery. That was Jesus that got us through the lynchings. That was Jesus that got us through the racism and the Jim Crow laws and the Jane Crow laws. That was Jesus that helped us during the civil rights movement. That was Jesus that died on the cross for your sin. That was Jesus that saved your soul. That was Jesus that forgave your sin. That was Jesus that healed your body. That was Jesus that gave you another chance. And when you think about what he's already done, I wish I had somebody helping me with this. You ought to want to be in the house that's honoring Jesus. You, you, we got to have a mentality of reflecting upon what Jesus has already done. And this whole family shows up honoring Jesus visibly. I mean, you got, you got the brother, you got Lazarus, you got the sisters, you got Mary and Martha. The whole family showed up and visibly honored Jesus. They weren't just in the house. That, that folk could visibly see 
the honor that they had for Jesus. You can see it. Um, uh, Mary is in the house and, and she's, she breaks open this box of expensive perfume and, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus. So she's taking her resources, she's sharing her resources with Jesus. You can see her honoring him. Then Martha, the other sister, she's serving Jesus and she's working for Jesus and serving those who are connected with Jesus. And then Lazarus, you can see him because he's sitting at the table with Jesus. This entire family has decided that the Lord has been too good to us for us not to visibly let folk know that we're on the Lord's side. So we've got one that's giving. you got one that's serving. And then you got the, the other one that's sitting at the table with Jesus. Matter of fact, this is really a composite as to what um, the average church in America looks like in the 21st century. If you want to know what the average church in America looks like in the 21st century, then look at John chapter 12. You got, um, you got Mary, she's, she's giving. You got Martha, she's serving. You got Lazarus, he's sitting at the table with Jesus. That's, that's a picture of 21st century church. That you got a third that, that's giving, breaking the box, sharing the resources. You got a third that's serving, that's doing the work in the church. And then you got a third, they just sitting. Okay, y'all ain't helping me with this. We... You know, every now and then we do surveys at the church. I'm, I've been accused of being data-driven. And I just, you know, I believe ministry is meeting needs. And I can't figure out how to meet needs if I don't know what the needs are. So we do surveys, try to figure out what we're working with, what are the numbers. And so what I discovered is our church kind of lines up with most churches in America. And what I mean by that is when you look at those who show up in one of our three worship services are those who stream the three services that we stream. Here's what it looks like. It is um, a third of us give. I'm not talking about folk that claim to be members and we never see them. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about those who actually show up, who actually stream. A third give. A third are doing the work. And a third are doing nothing but sitting. Okay, y'all adding time to this. Because y'all acting like y'all not getting it. We have 30% of the people in our ministry who actually give a tithe or give a significant offering to Jesus. A third. Then we have another 20% who tip Jesus. It's not a tithe. They, it's a tip. And oftentimes, it's less than the tip that they spent on dinner last night at the restaurant. Then you have 50% of those who show up and stream who gives zero, nothing. They see the buildings that are going up. They see the, the employment that we do and the economic development, the rock initiative, what we're doing in Haiti and different parts of the world. They see the scholars. They see all the stuff we're doing and give zero to help make it happen because this is a picture of what 21st century church looks like, a third that are giving. Then you got a third that are serving, represented by Martha. 
we got the same volunteers to do the work. And we praise God for those volunteers because if we didn't have the volunteers, we had to pay somebody to do it. And so if we got thousands of hours that are people volunteer, let's say we're paying $15 an hour to get work done, but if we got thousands of hours of volunteering, then that's $15 an hour we don't have to pay, right? So it helps with the ministry. So we got a third of the people who volunteer. We know who they are because it's the same third. Then there's a third that come to church and they come regularly, they stream regularly, and they, all they do in the city. That's a picture of the church. But what I want us to understand, this is not just what the church ought to look like. It ought to be what every Christian looks like. So each of us, not just the church, each of us ought to be giving, serving, and sitting at the table with Jesus. And some of us are not saying amen because we somehow think that when we talk about giving, when we, when we see this reflection of Mary in here, we think that God is trying to take something from you. When God tells you to give to him, he's not trying to take something from you. He can take you and leave everything you got. He's trying to set you up to give something to you. Because, y'all, the blessing is in the obedience. The blessing is in the trusting of him. That if you give, he opens the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing. If you give to the poor, it's like lending to the Lord. And when he pays you back, he pays you back with interest, some 30%, some 60%, some 100%. That when you give, God gives back good measures, pressed down, shaken together, God will make it run over. That when you give, your barns will be full and your vats will overflow with new wine. The blessing is in the giving. He's trying to set you up. I'll never forget that conversation I had with Pastor James Anthony Jackson, the pastor of New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Indianapolis. He called me to tell me about an experience he had at a car wash. I'll never forget the conversation. He said, Pastor, I was just at the car wash, and there was a man in there beating up a vending machine. He was cussing it out. He was kicking it. He was punching it. And Jack said, I went up and asked him, why are you treating this vending machine like this? And he said, the man said, because I put my money in it, and I'm pushing the right buttons, but I'm not getting anything out of it. And he said, I know, I know they have it because it's the kind of vending machine where you can see the fruit juice and the strawberry and the kiwi. You can see it. He said, put his money in there, push the right buttons, and nothing came out. So he said, that's why he's in there fussing and cussing and frustrated and kicking and punching the vending machine. So Jack said, Pastor, I asked him, I asked him, how much money did you put in the machine? He said, the man told him how much money he put in there. And Jack said, after he told me how much money he put in, here's Jack's word, Pastor, I ain't lying. He said, I looked at how much the machine said it costs versus how much he put in. And Jack said, I went in my pocket and I grabbed one dime. I put the dime in the vending machine. I pushed the button he'd been kicking and punching. And then what he wanted came out. Here's my response to Jack. You mean to tell me all of this frustration could have been avoided. All of this kicking and cursing and cussing could have been avoided if he had just gotten up off of one more dime. If my man had just decided I'm going to give the dime, then he could have avoided all of this frustration. 
and y'all know where I'm headed with this because some of y'all real frustrated with God because you see other people blessed and you see other people with the benevolence. You see other people getting the benefits and you've been trying to get something. You pushed all the right buttons. You graduated from high school. You went to college. You networked with the right people. You pushed all the right buttons, but yet your life is frustrated and you're not getting anything out of it. That's because you won't get up off the dime. God said, bring the tithe. And when you bring a tithe, it's a dime out of every dollar. And I know about a third of y'all can testify that when you give God a tithe, he will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. This whole family is serving, is giving, is sitting at the table with Jesus. I'm trying to rush this, but I'm, I'm going to throw this in here. The whole family is doing it because the family remembers what Jesus did in the previous chapter. Because when, when you got a sick brother at the house, everybody in the house is affected. Don't say amen, just look at amen for me. When you got a sick brother in the house, everybody in the house is affected. But Jesus shows up and helps to deal with a sick brother and brought deliverance. So now the whole family shows up in the house that's honoring Jesus. It wasn't just the brother that got delivered. It's everybody that was attached to the brother decided we need to bless Jesus because he blessed us by blessing the brother. Okay, y'all not saying amen. Um, I, I, when I came to work, the other, this week I came to work, I walked through the reception area, and the receptionist was listening to a sermon that I had preached. So I paused to try to hear what she was listening to. She said, oh, pastor, this is an old sermon of yours. This is, this is a sermon you preached a long time ago. So I stood there, and it was. It was I did a series of messages on wisdom. That's what she was listening to, wisdom. And I, I quoted uh, King Solomon that uh, he said, that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Not to be scared of God, but the reverence of God. That when you reverence God, that is the beginning of knowing how to take knowledge and knowing how to apply it to your life properly. It's the beginning of wisdom. In the message, I, I just heard, I walked through the, the reception area, and I said in that message that the job of parents is to stimulate and develop the God consciousness of their children. In Romans chapter 1, it says that everybody who's born in this world is born with a God consciousness. God innately placed something in every single person that there's a God consciousness, that you somehow know there's a God. You say, well, where do atheists come from? That's because they suppress the truth. And when you suppress the truth, the only thing left is a lie. That's why they believe there is no God. They suppress the truth of the fact there is. So I said in the message that it's the job of the parent to stimulate and develop the God consciousness in a child. That's how my mother raised me. She made me and my brothers and my sister pray before we ate our food. Father, I thank you for what I'm about to receive. She was stimulating and developing our God consciousness. She made us pray before we went to bed. She said, when you pray, pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord myself. She was stimulating and developing God consciousness. At our house, she didn't ask us, do we feel like going to church? She said, get ready to go to church. 
because God's been too good to this house for us not to go to his house and give him glory. Are y'all getting any of this? The whole family showed up because when God has been good to your family, everybody needs to come and give God glory. Do I have a witness in here? Now here it is. Mary is giving. Martha is serving. Lazarus is sitting at the table with Jesus. Now don't, don't miss how significant it is for Lazarus to be sitting at the table with Jesus. Don't think that's not important. Don't think that's not vital. Lazarus is at the table with Jesus. Now, I've got to say this about the table, too, because a lot of times when we look at this artwork in the first century, and you know, we see Jesus at the Last Supper at that table with his disciples and all of that. They got the tables and the chairs and all. That's not how the Jews, that's not how the Hebrew people did their furniture in the first century. Their tables were very low to the floor, and then... You would literally sit on the floor and then recline with your elbow, and that's, that's how they did it back then. But what's so significant here is Lazarus is sitting at the table with Jesus. Y'all not saying amen because you don't think there's anything to that. That's why John said, this the same Lazarus that was dead and that Jesus raised from the dead. And now he's sitting at the table with Jesus. I know it just seems like there's nothing to this because that's normal to sit at the table with Jesus. But when you've been through what Lazarus has been through, when you had to face what the brother had to face, normal is a blessing. I mean, when you've been sick and it went from sick to worse to dead to a grave situation, to being tied to something you couldn't free yourself, but Jesus showed up in that situation, raised you out, gave you emancipation, gave you restoration, gave you liberation. Y'all, it's a blessing just to be normal. Oh, y'all ain't saying that. Just to be at the table with Jesus. Y'all, and, and this is what Bishop... Bishop Derek Triplett said, there's so many of us, we are miracle chasers. We like, we just chase miracles. We, we, when, whoever's coming to town, if they're a miracle worker, we showing up because we want a miracle. I'm looking for a miracle. We, and miracles are great. I believe in miracles. I believe Jesus turned the water into wine. I believe Jesus told the lame man, take up your bed and walk. And he walked. I believe he performs miracles. But Derek Triplett says that the real miracle is living every day without a miracle. And while you got folk who are miracle chasers, I celebrate God just for being normal. See, some of y'all can't say amen because you ain't never been sick. But when I had cancer and they did that surgery on me, and that surgery, that major surgery they performed on me so traumatized my body that I couldn't even stand by myself. I couldn't even get out of bed by myself. My sons had to come and literally pull me out of the bed. That, that when I needed to go to the bathroom, I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I had to have somebody to get me to the bathroom. When I wanted something to eat, I couldn't go cook it for myself. Somebody else had to prepare it for me. But fast forward to right now. I'm normal. I just thank God for being normal. 
I just thank God I can get up by myself, go to the bathroom by myself, cook my own. Is there anybody grateful? You're just normal. And Lazarus was sitting at the table with Jesus. Y'all, this is so significant because of the impact it had on his sisters. Y'all, his being at the table wasn't just a blessing to him, it was a blessing to his sisters. Him being at the table, and, and, and I know I got one or two sisters in here that can praise God. Your, 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 your man, he ain't giving no money. He ain't serving, he ain't working. He, but he is at the table with Jesus. Because where he used to be, he ain't there no more. And the empty, see, because I, I met with the men in our ministry, I met with the men uh, of, of, of last month, and I was telling them at the, at the men's meeting, I said, listen, uh, this sitting at the table with Jesus, whenever you got a man that get to the table with Jesus, at least two sisters are going to be impacted. When you got a man, and he get to the table with Jesus, at least two sisters are affected. Now, I don't know which two. Y'all ain't helping me with this. I don't know if it's your mother and grandmother. I don't know if it's your wife or daughter, your granddaughter or your sister. But two sisters are impacted whenever you can get a man to the table with Jesus. And I know I got some brothers in here that are not where you used to be. Jesus showed up in your life and made a way out of no way. And here you are in the house of God and you're sitting at the table with Jesus. Oh, I know why y'all not saying amen, because I didn't tell you what the table represented. When you're reading in the Bible and you come across table, it's not just about resources, it's also about relationship. So when it talks about at, at a table, in, when you read in, in the Bible, you come across table, it's relationship and resources. We keep thinking it's just about resource. Mephibosheth uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 4 uh, he was dropped as a, as a, as a five-year-old, and he was broken in both feet. He couldn't, even as an adult, he couldn't walk right because he got dropped in his childhood. And in that brokenness, King David heard about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and said, go get Mephibosheth from Lodabar, a place of obscurity. Go get Mephibosheth from Lodabar, where he was in poverty, where he was depending upon other folk to take care of him. And they, King David said, and bring him to the king's palace. And it said that from that day on, Mephibosheth always ate at the king's table. Even in his brokenness, he had the resources of the king because the king got him to the king's table. But then it also says he ate at the king's table as one of the king's sons. He didn't just get there for resource. He got there for relationship. Y'all, and I know I got somebody that can testify the Lord has brought you to the table. And the only reason you at the table is because of the moves of Jesus in your life. And it brings you relationship and re Psalm, Psalm 23, verse 5. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So now watch the resources that I get at the table. He anoints my head with oil. My cup 
runs over. Look at the resources I get because I'm at the table. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Everything a sheep needs can be found in the pasture. He protects me with a rod and a staff. It's about resources at the table. But it's not just about resources at the table. It's the relationship that I have. Because Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now I got the relationship with the Lord and I got resources because he prepares a table. Not in the absence of my enemies, but in the presence of my enemies. I told this testimony before, but I'm going to share it again. When I graduated from college, Bishop College in Dallas, Texas, back in the early 80s, I wanted to stay in Dallas. I wanted to work in Dallas. I wanted to live in Dallas. And God closed every door. I graduated. I prayed. I trusted God. And God closed every door in Dallas. I could not find a job. I had to come back to Indianapolis, move back in with my mother. That sounds good now. That ain't how we did it back in the 80s. And I had to stay there a few months so I could find a job, get myself together. And and I just really felt bad. I couldn't get a job, couldn't take care of myself, had to move back in with my mama. And it wasn't long after that, I got called to be the pastor of Eastern Star Church. And when I got called to be the pastor of Eastern Star Church, it's one of the greatest churches in America. And I pastor in the neighborhood that I grew up in. I was raised in Arlington Woods, 46218. And y'all, there are folk still here that was here when I lived in this neighborhood. And some of them were the ones telling me, your daddy ain't nothing. You just like your daddy. You ain't going to be nothing telling me I'll never make it I'll never achieve so God when I asked God can I stay in Dallas God said I didn't tell you I would prepare a table in the absence of your enemies if I did all that in Dallas these haters wouldn't see it so he brought me back here to prepare a table before me in the presence of my haters that don't want me to have anything do I have a witness in here I got to rush this. He's sitting at the table with Jesus. It's about a witness. I got to rush it. He's witnessing. His being at the table is a witness. That that now we witness to see who Jesus is. John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. John says many other signs that Jesus do in front of his disciples that we didn't put in the book, but we put these in the book so that you'll know he's the Christ, the Son of God. And in believing, you'll have life in his name. So this is a witness. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead to prove to you and others he's the son of God. Lazarus is a witness that Jesus is in the business of raising up dead folk. Paul said you were dead in trespasses and in sin. But the good news is he's still in the business of raising up dead people. Oh, y'all ain't get Okay, all right, here it is. Let me, let me explain it. Let me explain it. He's such a witness that when the holiday came, people came from different parts of the world not just to see Jesus. This is all in John 12. But they came to see Jesus and Lazarus who was raised from the dead. They didn't just want to see Jesus. They wanted to see the one he raised from. Y'all, when folk come to church, they ought to see at least two things. One, they ought to see a savior that saves sinners. And they ought to see the other thing is a sinner that's been saved. 
The Savior that saves sinners, that's Jesus. The sinner that's been saved, that's me. And even if I'm not doing anything, I'm still blessed just to be at the table. Is there anybody here that's grateful that your God allowed you to be at the table? I got to rush this. It's a witness. It's a witness. So then they, they not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. Now, why would they want to kill Lazarus? They already been dead. They want to kill him. You know why they want to kill him? Because he's messing with their theology. We hear about Pharisees and Sadducees. I used to think when I was a kid here, I thought they were the same group. I thought they loved each other. They worked together. No, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two different religious groups. They hated each other. But they hated Jesus more than they hated each other. So they teamed up together in order to attack Jesus. And then they were going to go back to being it. Boy, I wish I had time to work this thing. They're going to go back to being enemies after they attack Jesus. So they wanted to kill Jesus and Lazarus. Why are they killing Lazarus? The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I learned this in Baptist Training Union at Pleasant Union Church 40 years ago. The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees at Baptist Training Union is that the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. That's why they sad, you see? That's how I learned it. They didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Here's why they wanted to kill Lazarus. Because he's sitting at the table with Jesus. Here they're telling people there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. And here is Lazarus sitting at the table with Jesus. So they decided rather than rethink my theology, I'd rather kill him. There's some folk right now who talk about Jesus is not real, that the Bible's not real, the church ain't about nothing, but your life has changed. You're not what you used to be. You love God. You love your family. You are a blessing to other people. Your walk is different. Your talk is different. Your thinking is different. And it's because Jesus is in your life. That's why you're under attack right now. That's why the church is under attack right now. Because they rather attack us than to rethink their theology. Do I have a witness in here? I'm just so glad that my witness is I'm sitting at the table with Jesus. Is there anybody here that used to be one thing, but now you're at the table with Jesus? I got to close it. I got to close this. They're in the house that's honoring him. Then, then here's Mary breaking that box, and she uses, man, it's a year's supply uh, of, of perfume. It would take her a whole year to raise that kind of money. And she broke it and gave it to Jesus. And when she gave that offering to Jesus, she did it openly. She did it generously. She did it lovingly in front of everybody else. And that's when Ju Judas said, that ain't right for her to do that. Could have gave that money and we could have gave it to the poor. Now, nowhere in the text does it talk about Judas brought an offering. I'm always trying to figure out how folk who don't give anything want to talk about where other folk ought to be giving. Y'all ain't helping me preach this. And, and here's the thing. He's trying, it's a protest against her praise. He's saying, it didn't take all of this. They had to do all of this. That they, this, this is, yo, whenever you run across folk who protest your praise, it's because they don't know about the previous chapter in your life. 
that there are folk who shout and run and scream and holler and swing from the chandelier and we sit back down, it don't take all of that. How do you know how much it takes for them to praise if you don't know what they went through in the previous chapter? I wish I had somebody here with no shame in your game. God has been too good that you will praise him against protests. Man, people, people who've never been sick can't identify with folk who've been healed. People that's never been through anything can't identify with folk who've been delivered. Can I get a witness in here? But when, when you know what the Lord has done in your life, why do you care what other folk are thinking? Uh, Jesus said, I got to wrap this up. Jesus said, leave her alone. The poor you're going to always have. She's doing this. And then he said, this is about my burial. She's, she's anointing me about my burial. Y'all, this is a prophecy about resurrecting, resurrection victory of Jesus. Wait a minute, preacher. It says that she anointed him for his burial. What does that have to do with the resurrection victory? It has everything to do with the resurrection victory. You can't talk about the burial of Jesus without thinking about the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. Because since he got buried, he had to have died. He died on Calvary's cross. And then after they buried him, he was raised from the dead. That's why the old black preacher said when Jesus got buried, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. A borrowed tomb? Yeah, that was Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But it's borrowed because Jesus was going to give it back in three days. So when you're talking about his burial, you can't help but think about his resurrection. Because the anointing for his burial is what brought about the resurrection. He was raised from the dead because of the anointing. They killed him on Calvary. They buried him, but he bounced back because of the anointing. And when you have the anointing, oh, I wish I had somebody to know you can bounce back from anything. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Anybody in here ever bounce back from something? I got to close. I got to close. Uh, this was at, at Fall Creek. It, it had rained several days. This was like two years ago. In, in 2018, it had rained several days in a row, Fall Creek. And it was, it, the waters had risen. And these two teenagers were out there. I don't know if they were playing in the water. I got caught in the water. Something happened, and the undercurrent began to take them. And their lives were in jeopardy. And there was a man that just happened to be walking by Fall Creek, saw the two young boys in danger called 911 and then they sent out firefighters to help the two young boys so the witness stood around and said I saw I know where they are and y'all got to get them out of there they're not gonna be able to make it and when they got there one of the boys was holding on to a tree and the only reason he survived the ordeal is because when he got in over his head when he got into something he had no business being in when his life was in danger, he got saved because he held on to a tree.
Peter said, Jesus died on the tree. The only reason I'm a Christian is because I held on to the tree. Can I get a witness in here? I'm not here because I never I kept all God's commandments. I'm not here because I did everything right, but I'm saved because Jesus died on a tree. And I know I got some witnesses in here that you're saved because he shed his blood on a tree. He thought I was worth saving. Can I get a witness here? So he came and saved my life. He thought I was worth keeping. So he cleaned me up inside. He thought I was to die for. Is there anybody here that know Jesus died for your sins? Then somebody give him glory. Have you been saved? Have you been forgiven? Did he bring you out in the past? Then somebody ought to break the box. Somebody ought to break the box. Somebody ought to break the box and give him praise. Hey. 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 Y'all excuse me, but I shouldn't even be here. But he brought me out. He brought me through. He picked me up. He made a way. He opened doors. He healed my body. I can't help but give him praise. Hey! Hallelujah. 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 I know some of y'all think this is too much. It's too long. But you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me did he save you did he forgive you did he heal you then somebody give him glory come on stand with me